You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from our youth pastor, Josh Rogers. I'm so excited to get to share with y'all this morning. I want to go ahead. He said I'm the youth pastor. So yeah, I want to emphasize once again that we have signups for the mix and for our summer camps that are due this month. And in fact, the early sign up for the mix um, before the price jumps is this week. So look in the bulletins for the date and all the information. But it's an incredible time where youth groups from all around, I mean, this is like I think this is interesting, even if you're not involved with the youth ministry at all, but the youth ministries from all around Athens get together for one big conference to come and worship Jesus all together, to learn, to grow, to be challenged all together at one place. And I think that's just really awesome and encouraging um, because even though we all have different styles and some different thoughts, that we all still come to worship and acknowledge Jesus Christ. And it is thousands of kids in the community, some who don't know Christ and some who have grown up following Christ. And so it's just a really cool um, environment and a really great opportunity. And so we're going to be involved with that. Our church is doing it. And so I'd really encourage all the families to sign up. Or even if you know some kids in middle school or high school who don't even go to our church and they want to sign up, they can sign up and go with us. That's a great opportunity. So um, with that out of the way, uh, Lisa mentioned we're doing our 21 days of fast. I believe we're five days in. Um, and whether you have started it or you're, you're participating, if you want, you could go ahead and jump right in and you can do what would be 16 days of prayer and fasting. Um, but just to encourage you, but I wanted to talk today about prayer since we are doing this 21 days of fast, which I think is important and impactful whether you're doing the fast or not. Whether you're even a believer or not, I think the scripture we're going to look at today is really insightful and challenging and encouraging um, in our understanding of prayer and in our understanding of our relationship with God. And so I think it'll be, it's going to be really cool and really uh, powerful. So if you would like, you can go ahead, if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew 26. We'll be reading that in a moment. But before we do, I want to kind of give you some background of, of where we are in this gospel. Uh, we're getting towards the end. You can tell by it's kind of towards uh, one of the last few chapters in the gospel. And we're in Jerusalem with Jesus and his disciples, all right? And they've just celebrated the Passover meal, okay? So it's this uh, very special Jewish holiday where they remember when they were taken out of Egypt. They just celebrated the Passover meal, which we call the Last Supper, because it's the last meal that Jesus has with his disciples before he is arrested and taken to the cross and crucified. And so it's a, it's a very um, special last few hours that Jesus has of freedom. And so he takes his disciples with him to this secluded garden on this mountainside in Jerusalem. And he wants to spend that time with his disciples in prayer before he begins down this road to his arrest, which leads to his crucifixion. So you're talking about a really special, powerful um, last few moments and, and, and those are the moments we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at uh, some events that happen in just the last hour right before he is arrested. Uh, but before we read that, 
uh, read this passage and these verses, there's something really important that I think we need to understand, and, and that's the role of Jesus. We need to understand a little bit about who he is. Um, and, and a lot of us are familiar with different aspects, but there's one aspect that I want to really emphasize so that we can get the most out of what we're about to read. It's really important to understand roles, right? If you're watching a movie and you don't know who the good guys or the bad guys are, it would make watching a superhero movie very confusing, right? Or watching a war movie, you would, you would be very confused and you wouldn't be able to get the most out of that movie, right? Or even watching a, a sports game. If you don't know the positions that players are playing and what those positions do and do not do, you would be very confused in watching the game. You wouldn't quite understand it. And in the same way, we need to understand Jesus' role in who he is in order to understand what's going on and what he's doing. And one thing we all understand, or I hope, is that Jesus is the Son of God. He is divine, right? He is our God. He is truly God. All right? We, we seek our, our salvation, we put our faith in him, we praise him, we worship him, and we give him all the glory. That is who Jesus is. But in addition to that, Jesus is also truly man. He is absolutely 100% human being, except without sin. And that's the part that I really want us to um, remember and wrestle with as we are reading through this scripture, that Jesus thinks like a man. He feels like a man. He experiences life just like you and me, like a man. In fact, there's a couple of scripture, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. It says, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And then in additionally, in Hebrews 2, 17 through 18, it says, For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And so if we say like honoring Jesus Christ uh, in the divine is like fundamental Christianity, also understanding that Jesus was truly, completely a man, just like us, but without sin, is fundamental Christianity. And that's going to really, that idea right there is going to really impact, I think, how we read these next few verses uh, when we dive in. And it's crucial to understand that he had to be a man. As that scripture in Hebrews points out, he could not stand as our mediator and our savior in the place for our sins, take on those sins and die for us if it weren't for him being truly a man. All right, and, and I want to really emphasize this, not to like give some lesson on Christology or something, but in order that we don't rob Jesus of the incredible emotional experience that he had as a man. I don't want to cheapen the scripture that we read by just brushing it aside and going, well, isn't he God? But, is, but isn't, he, isn't he divine? No, because that's cheapening and taking away from what Jesus truly experienced as a man. I know it may seem like a crazy paradox, but that's really um, what Scripture teaches us about who Jesus was, a very special um, uh, thing where he's both in union, in union, divine and fully man. And so I don't want us to cheapen or rob Jesus of his, of his experience because we need him to have that experience, both as an example that we'll look towards, but also as our savior, as our mediator. 
And so with that in mind, I want us to keep that in mind. Let's open up Matthew 26. We're going to be on verses 36 through 46. Just a little, a little narrative right before his uh, arrest. Follow along with me. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. All right, so I want us to walk through here and observe a few things. Um, typically, I think, at least in my experience, when reading the scripture or studying the scripture with people, the emphasis and focus is on the disciples, right, and kind of their experience they have here. And their experience right here is very relatable, right? And the, the lesson that Jesus kind of teaches and the wisdom he kind of bestows on them is um, very important. But I actually want us to look closer at what Jesus is doing as both our example and kind of paving the way for us to have a similar um, life in prayer. And the first thing I want to do, it's why I emphasize just how much of a man he is, is look at the sorrow, the agony, and the struggle that Jesus was in at this time. When it talks about the cup, it's not just talking about him um, getting beaten and going to the cross. It's talking about him taking on the sins of mankind and experiencing the wrath of God on our behalf. So we're not just talking about a physical death, we're talking about an a emotional and spiritual death and just completely being separated from God, his heavenly Father. And so this is incredibly, I might say, terrifying, right? Um, Jesus does not want to do this necessarily, right? You, you can see just, it just how much overwhelmed he is by the agony that he's experiencing when it, when it talks about how he fell forward, how he, he describes being, feeling close to death. I have never been that distraught or upset, and I really don't think Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is being melodramatic here, all right? But I have never felt such sorrow to the point of, I don't think I have more energy in me. I don't think I have any more life in me. I think I'm just going to give up and, and kill over. And that's what Jesus is describing. But I think we can all relate. I don't know if you're like me, but when I'm overwhelmed with something, 
when I experience like a, a ton of emotion, whether it's like I'm stressed out over some kind of like exam back in college or whether um, something really terrible has happened, it, it drains you, right? You've experienced that just it's completely out of you. It's it, the energy that you had. Um, if you were like me last week during the emotional roller coaster that was the national championship, after that, I want to just crawl up, curl up, hide in the, under my blanket, and fall asleep for a good week, just because I was just exhausted from it, all right? And it was just emotionally uh, devastating, all right? And so, and so we get this idea of just, um, of just how, how um, Jesus is experiencing this, okay? And I think what's important that we need to take away is how he takes his agony he takes this, this moment of weakness and he allows it to turn him and draw him to God. All right, I'm going to repeat that. He lets this agony and this weakness point him and draw him to God. It's kind of like how fasting is supposed to work. Lisa mentioned this earlier. We don't get, when you fast, so you take something out, whether it's, it's food or Netflix or whatever it is, that, that it's something that you do daily. It's something that if you take it out of your life, you're going to realize it's gone. It's not something that you go, oh, I just did the fast and I didn't even realize it went by. How about that? That was so easy. No, it's not about challenging yourself. It's not about feeling good about yourself. And it's not about getting rid of something for its own sake. It's kind of creating a hole there that reminds you daily to turn to God. It reminds you of the need that you have for God. That Netflix or this food or coffee is not something I need but I do need the Lord. And so it works in that kind of way. And in the same way, Jesus is allowing his agony and his time of weakness that he's having here to turn him to the Lord. In a similar way, I, I, I think fasting also takes away some distractions, right? So that we can focus and remember to draw to the Lord, that we need the Lord. I kind of relate it to when I'm reading, if, especially if I'm reading something dense or heavy or, or dry like a textbook, I can't have music on in the background with like words and lyrics. I, I totally cannot focus and concentrate. I might read it and get to the bottom of a page, but by the time I get to the end, I don't have a clue what I read and I got to bounce all the way back up to the top of the page. And in the same way, fasting kind of works in that way of getting rid of some of the distraction, kind of creating, like I said, that hole which then each day reminds us, each moment that we, we desire to fill that hole, we remember to desire God, to turn to him, that he is what we need. And so I want us to take that away from here, is that we need to remember, maybe even condition ourselves, as we see that fasting kind of allows you to recalibrate, reset, and remember that in moments of weakness, that it doesn't mean we turn to something else, Right? When, I'm, when I have a problem or, or, or something to figure out or solve, I immediately whip my phone out. All my friends know this. All the youth know this, I feel like. I whip my phone out and I Google it. And I say, why haven't you Googled it? Just Google it. My mom calls me. She's like, I got a problem with my TV or my internet. And I was like, have you Googled it? Because I always just turn to Google. And really what I'm saying is I turn to myself, right, to fix everything. And that just kind of sets a standard, a pattern in my life of even when things are heavy, even when things are bad, um, even when I'm having emotional, spiritual, and real-life things, I've conditioned myself to just turn inward, turn to myself. And Jesus is showing, no, when you're in those moments of weakness, when you're in those moments of doubt, 
When you're in those moments of pain and agony, we need to let that turn us back to God. In addition, what we see here when Jesus comes to his father in prayer, we see that he brings complete honesty. And this is my next point that I really want to emphasize, is that Jesus comes to God with complete honesty. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat anything. He says, I am suffering, I am in agony, and if it is possible, God, don't let me have to go and suffer this. If it's possible, let me not suffer this. Like, we always think of Jesus as like, oh, you know, he's strong and he always has it together. But Jesus was a man who faced weakness and faced temptations just like us. And he has this moment of temptation where he does not want to suffer this. And he is just completely open and honest to God about that. And that's, my, that's, that's really what I want us to get from here also is that we bring our honesty, our everything the raw anything and all thoughts and frustrations, we bring those to God. And we, and we should. We should bring all of those things. Jesus shows us. Um, one caveat I want to I point out, though, is how even in that moment of uncertainty, frustration, and weakness, Jesus didn't turn to, I don't know how to put it, be disrespectful or irreverent in the prayer. And so at the same time, I want to say, like, it's this example, while we bring our complete honesty, our raw um, candidness to God, it's not an excuse necessarily to be irreverent in that prayer. And then the next thing I want to point to is how Jesus calls God my Father. How Jesus, in this time of raw honesty, in this time of weakness, that he comes to God and says, my father in this incredible display of intimacy that we see through his honesty, but also that title. Um, Lisa read some scripture where Jesus refers to God as the father. If you've read any of the gospels, you'll see Jesus time and time again refers to God as the father, 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 father. But here in this prayer, this is actually the only recorded time in the gospels. And this surprised me too. This is the only time recorded in the Gospels where he refers to God as my father. He says, my father. And, and that would have been an incredible sign of intimacy. We might not think, we might be a little conditioned now, if you've read the Bible, just to, to think of it that way. But for then, that would have been like a crazy display of closeness that Jesus would have had with God. And, and for Jews during that time, they would have seen that as blasphemous. They would have seen that as the ultimate disrespect to say, my father, when referring to God. And so I really want to stress just how intimate Jesus is entering into a relationship with God. And he is setting both the example for us, but also through his sacrifice, he made a way that we too, as children of God, when we go into prayer, we can enter into um, an incredible time of intimacy with God. God. And that's really important. If we're not coming in comfortable and confident in our prayer to, with God, if we're not coming in with uh, uh, being completely genuine about our struggles and our weakness, and we're not being completely honest with God about our desires, then we're really missing out on the, the wonderful, awesome opportunity that Jesus has made for us in having that direct connection with God. 
in accessing that dialogue and that relationship and the power that we have with God through Jesus Christ. And so I really want us to, to really address our hearts and, and consider that honesty and, and, and that closeness that we can have with God. And something I, I want to point out too is I, I know for some people, um, it, it, thinking of God as a father actually is kind of difficult. Um, I personally never, I didn't have that great of a relationship with my father. Like some ups, but a lot of downs and a really rough time. Um, but when I became a Christian and I, I learned that God is my heavenly father, that opened up a lot of doors for me and a great opportunity where God redeemed and restored my idea of what fatherhood could be. And so I just kind of want to encourage um, y'all not to take our bad experiences of father and fatherhood and parents and project that onto God, but instead let the incredible example of God as a father and as a parent restore and redeem what we understand as true fatherhood, of what it means to be a loving, uh, sacrificial parent. Okay, um, so that, that's just my encouragement there, um, because I think entering into a relationship and prayer time with God in that intimate way as a father is so important for us. And then finally, the last thing I want us to look at is one little word that Jesus says, one little thing he kind of does, um, which kind of puts a little twist on things. We've seen that we can come to God in our weakness and be completely honest and candid with God, and that we can enter into this incredible confidence and, and comfortable uh, intimacy with the Lord. But then Jesus, in uh, 39, drops a really powerful, um, arguably maybe one of the scariest words in the English language, which is but, B-U-T. And, and I say that because so often a but you know, entails something bad's are coming, right? Um, I, I, some examples I think of is like, someone says, I love you, but uh, that's not okay. <laughs> or, or, oh, oh, we want to hire you. Oh, that's great news, a job. But, oh gosh, there's always a but, right? Um, or, hey, uh, he survived, but, oh no, what does that mean? But, but what? right? And, and that but caveat is kind of scary, okay? And Jesus, in verse 39, he's, he's, he's praying and he says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will, but as you will. Jesus shows that he brought his raw emotion, his raw um, weakness and, and desires this is his desire. This is what he wants. He brought that before God. He completely handed that. And, and I mean, he's laying down on his face crying, right? Um, and he brings that before God and says, this is what I want. But then he wraps it up. He finishes it with, but as you will, as, as God, Father, as you will, not my will. And we're like, Jesus, he's, he's perfect, right? But even he was struggling with this. Not as I will, but as you, the Father, wills. And that's, that's a scary thing to pray, right? 
Like we all have these wants and desires and we, we absolutely should bring them before God. And God listens and God cares and God um, wants to uh, answer them and help us and, and be there for us. But, but Jesus shows us to pray, but as you will, as the Father wills, what he wills in our life. And I think that's really challenging. I think that's, that's, that's not easy. Um, but I also think growing as a Christian, really maturing as a Christian, a big part of that is becoming comfortable and desiring God's will. It's, it's um, being excited about God's plan for our lives, even if it's not how we perceived or planned it, um, which, is, which is really challenging. But we have to remember that God's will is perfect. God's will is good. God desires to give those who love him the very best and to work out everything for them, right? Um, if, if you've experienced uh, the incredible um, salvation through Jesus Christ, through believing in him, you, you have gotten a glimpse of that plan and, and that, that incredible uh, goodness that he wants to bestow on us through that plan. Now, it may be scary. It may, may not even be easy. might be painful, that plan. And ultimately, though, it is the best plan for us. Uh, the classic example is a little kid wants candy, right? Little kids want candy. They love candy. And if they could, they would eat candy for every meal, and they would eat candy nonstop. The first time my nephew, my little nephew, ever lied to my sister was over candy. Do you have candy? Did you hide candy? He said, no. And then she found the candy, and she was heartbroken that her little boy lied to her. But that's, that just shows you, like, kids, right? Little candy addicts. But... Everyone here knows if you ate nothing but candy, that would be really bad. I don't care even if you're in middle school or how old you are. You know that eating nothing but candy would be really bad. Short term, like you're, you're going to feel sick to your stomach. Probably going to, right? They're, they would end up puking or something. Um, long term, you're going to have uh, diabetes or something or your teeth are going to rot out, right? That's what my mom always told me. Your teeth are going to rot out if you eat too much candy, all right? But we know long-term that that's not a good plan to eat nothing but candy. But short-term, that little kid is going to cry and cry because you took away their candy. You took away all their candy and they just want their candy, right? And that's a silly little example, but that's how we sometimes see our little things in life that we want to hold on to, right? Instead of giving over to the good, perfect will of God. Um, and I, I'm not one of those people who think you need, when you pray, you need to stamp on it, um, but your will be done, that you actually verbally, you need to actually say that in your prayer, but your will be done, as if to like give it the official stamp of approval for God's will or something. Um, but I think this is more um, a lesson on the condition and the uh, attitude of our hearts when we come to God. It's the posture in which we come to God, that we come to God in our prayer time saying, open-handed, here are my desires. Lord, this is what I desire. But keeping the hands open, ready to receive whatever God is going to give back, right? 
whatever he's going to give back, and not holding on tight fists, white-knuckling it onto every little part of our lives and our plans. But it's coming to him in this posture of, but your will be done. It's coming to him with hands open in the attitude of, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will, God. And I think that's really powerful seeing this example that Jesus has set for us in prayer. That he as a man walked and struggled and felt and experienced the same pain that you have felt. Has experienced and felt the same temptations that we have all felt. And yet this is how he responds in prayer. And this is how we can respond in prayer. This is the way, the path that he made for us through his sacrifice. Um, and so if I could just kind of wrap up and um, do uh, just like a little summary, um, I just want to remind us we need to not rob Jesus of the agony that he went through when, when looking at this and, and understanding these experiences he had, but also not um, cheapen or rob his faithfulness, the same faithfulness that we can have to God. Um, I think Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 really summarizes this really well. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus Christ was faithful. And as a man, we needed him to be faithful, to pave this way. In his confidence and in his humility, we can be confident and humble before God. Um, through his act of sacrifice, we can approach God in intimacy with our needs. And so when we have weakness and when we have struggles, we don't need to hide those from God or depend on ourselves, but instead let those things direct us, draw us, point us back to God. Because if Jesus needed to turn to God in faithfulness and, and or in prayer and in his needs, we too definitely need to turn to God for those. In addition, um, when we draw near in prayer. We can do so with confidence and with honesty and with intimacy with God as our heavenly Father. And finally, though it may seem scary and very difficult, we should come to God during prayer in a posture and an attitude of, of humility that His will be done, ultimately desiring His will, His good and perfect will and plan over ours. And for those who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he not only shows us an example of all this, but he has saved us and freed us from ourselves and our sin so that we can enter into the same honest, intimate, and obedient prayer life with God as our Father. And so I hope this scripture um, individually and as a church um, can hopefully enter us into a time of deeper and more um, sincere and fuller uh, season of rewarding prayer. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that through your son, you made a way that we can also enter into such an honest and intimate, incredible time of prayer. 
that we can come to know you as our heavenly Father, Lord. And I just pray for everyone here, and myself included, that when anything comes our way, whether it's good or whether it's bad, that it points us and will draw us closer to you. That we will come to you in complete honesty and vulnerability with complete intimacy before our heavenly Father, seeking ultimately your will, your good and perfect will in our lives. Lord, help us to see that. Open our hearts, our minds, our ears, and our eyes to seeing um, that and continue to use this scripture, your word, and Jesus' example and the way that he paved um, for us to access that. I pray this all in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.